All right, were you aware of this, that Americans are more desperate than ever to find happiness? Were you aware of that? We, we, we know how to find it, but we just don't know how to keep it. That's, that's really part of the problem. And so a report just came out from the World Happiness Report. Were you, that's a real thing, by the way, the World Happiness Report, where they take all the nations of the world and then they ask basically the citizens, like, how happy are you? And we came in 18th. We came in 18th, which we used to be above that. We used to be a happier nation, but every year we keep, we keep sliding downward and we become unhappier, which is really interesting because if you think about it, uh, the old saying was, the more free you are, the happier you are. We're like the most free nation in the world. So wouldn't you just think, I mean, just like logically think that since you're the most free, we're the most free, and we have all these liberties, and we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that we would be the most happiest group of people on the face of the earth. But you know what? The reality is we're 18th. We're not. We're not the happiest people on the face of the earth. Even though we have all this freedom out here, we're really not free here. Because whether you realize this or not, freedom doesn't start out here. It doesn't start by a government. It doesn't start by the liberties that those in society give to you. Freedom starts here, and freedom starts here. And I would contend the reason that you and I, the reason why we're a sliding scale of not getting happier but becoming unhappier by the year is because we are not free people anymore. Oh, our government says we are. Our laws say we are. You have all the liberties you want in this nation that can afford it. But you're, you're not free here, and you're not free here. You're not free in your heart and soul, and you're not free in your mind and, and your strength. And friends, you will never, ever, ever, ever be free out here until you're free in here and in here. And you will never, ever, ever truly find happiness, which can last a lifetime, which the Bible says is joy, not happiness, because happiness has to do with happenings. Finding joy until you are free in your heart and your passion, in your mind and your strength. And you can look all around the world. You can find every place you want. You can go to some guru uh, in, in the, the Asian countries. You can, you can try to climb a mountain and go find God yourself somewhere. You can go, you find, go the deepest part of the You're not going to find happiness on your own. You're not going to find happiness apart from God. But did you know? Now, just catch this. Did you know that God has a plan for your happiness? Did you know that God has a plan to set you free here and to set you free here so that you can be free out here? Regardless of the oppression of your government, regardless of how much money you're making, regardless of how your relationships are in shape or out of shape, regardless of the tragedy, the hurt, the pain that exists in this world, you can be free here, your passion and your soul, and be free here, your mind and your strength. Regardless of what the happenings are around you, you can live free and still be happy in your present circumstances. God had a plan for this. God had a way for you to get free. God had a way for you to escape the bondage that we put ourselves in. Even though we're in the land of freedom, we still find ourselves in captivity when it comes to finding happiness, finding joy in this world. God's plan for this is real simple. It's called salvation. Salvation. This is God's plan for freedom. God's plan for you, for me, to break out of this idea that we're enslaved here in our souls, enslaved in our passions, enslaved in our mind, enslaved in our strength. And when you can get, when you can get God here and here, it doesn't matter what's going on out here. You can live free in here. Because I've met some people that are free in here and here, yet they're in prison, like literal prison. 
You can look back in the scriptures, you can find the Apostle Paul. He was that guy. He was free here and here, and yet he was in the darkest, deepest dungeons. But guess what? He was more free than any of us because Christ has liberated him. And we're told up front the reason why that people like you and me are not free is because of one central issue in life, and it boils down to one central thing. The reason why you and I are not happy and haven't found freedom is because of one central thing. That thing is called sin. Sin. Let's just put it like this. Sin brings sadness. Let's, just like, let's generalize it as much as we can. Sin brings sadness. And what sin is, according to God's word, is we've missed the mark. That's what sin means. Like if we were archers and we were shooting for the bullseye, we drew back our, our arrow and we launched it forward with our life and we missed the bullseye. And whether you're aware of this or not, God has a bullseye for your life. You know what that bullseye for my life and yours is? It's absolute, complete perfection. The Bible calls it righteousness. The Bible calls it holiness. The Bible gave us an illustration of what complete perfection was. His name is Jesus. And here's what God says about this. He says, if you have an error in your life, if you have a fault in your life, you have not hit the bullseye. If you have something in your life that doesn't stack up to the high expectations of God, either you have hit the mark of perfection or you haven't. And what God knows about us, because he knows us intimately, right? He's created us in our mother's womb. You're God's creation. He knows you. The creator knows his creation. You may not know this about yourself, but you're not perfect. Like, can we have this meeting right now? Can I call this meeting to an order? You need to lay down for a moment on the couch. You're not perfect. If you think you are, ask your wife if you are. You're not perfect. And God says, I know you better than you know yourself. You're not perfect. You, I think, in, in, inherently, you know you're not, right? You know you're not. You haven't stacked up to 100% perfection in everything you've done. You've come up short. And the Bible says, yeah, you've come up short. You've come up short of the glory of God, and that's the bullseye. You've come up short of the glory of God. You've sinned. And that's what's leading to your unhappiness. You're shackled by sin here and here, and you got to break free. And God, how do you break free? Salvation, my plan for you. And before you just think of it as a plan, it's not just a plan. Salvation is a man. It's Jesus. You see, we believe in the Word of God around here, and, and we believe that to be true and without error. And here's what the Word of God says about the man that brought the plan. Only Jesus has the power to save. Right? If you're a believer, let's just read that out loud. Only Jesus has the power to save. And I say amen to that because I don't have that power. You don't have that power. This place does not have that power. No place on earth has that power to save men and women. Only Jesus. His name is the only one in all the world that can save, I love this inclusion, anyone, anyone. The worst of the worst. The best of the best. One sin or a million sins. What do we need, guys? We all need a savior. And that's the reason why God had sent us Jesus. It's not found just in a plan. It's found in a man. And I'm telling you today, that boyfriend that you're looking for ain't going to make you happy. That girlfriend ain't going to make you happy. Money's not going to do it. A new job's not going to do it. Guys, the substance that you're reaching for, you're becoming addicted to, that's not going to do it either. Jesus can release you from that sin. You see, Jesus is the plan. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the path. If you want to become free here and here so you have freedom out here, you've got to go through the door of Jesus. No ifs, ands, buts. He is the only one who saves. Guys, this is incredibly important around here. Incredibly important because this fits into our mission statement as a church. And that the elements which make us us, our purpose, why do we exist? Church, why do we exist? Well, that's a good question, right? 
Some of you have been asking that personally. I ask that as an organization. Why does Bethany Christian Church exist? Why do we exist? Well, our purpose at Bethany, the reason why we exist is to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior. That means he's going to be elevated higher than the preacher. He's going to be elevated than anyone that's on the platform. He's going to be elevated higher than any plans that we have for a new building, any plans that we have for a new campus, any plans that we have for strategic outreach. God is going to be elevated. Christ is going to be elevated because he's the Savior who saves, right? I don't. Joe, you don't. Chris, you don't. We don't. We don't serve. Jesus saves. Every person, so that every person will know God. We want everybody to know God. I'm not talking like I got information about God. Anybody can come up with information about God. Like to know God intimately through Jesus. Know God, live free. That's what we're talking about today. Find purpose. I'm surprised how many people are just looking for purpose. Just, they don't have it. They haven't found it. They thought they had it, but then they, they lost it somewhere in college. And be a difference maker. I don't want you just to make a difference at some times. God wants us to always make a difference. So every time Scott Arms walks in the room, he wants Scott Arms to always make a difference wherever he's at. I don't care if he's at the farm. I don't care if he's at a school board meeting. I don't care where Scott's at. Scott's going to make a difference. Why? Because Christ has made a difference in him. So our goal here, our purpose, is to exalt Jesus because he's the one that saves us and he's the one that we can know God intimately with. He's the one that can set us free so we can live free. We can find purpose in Jesus by being part of something bigger than ourselves, the kingdom of God, and we can start making a difference in our world around us. Be difference makers. Guys, this is incredibly important to who we are at Bethany because some of us have just been in prison for too long. We just aren't living free. I want to tell you what salvation is. Because it's not just a plan, it's not just a man. God's doing something special in your life and you're not even aware of it. And I guarantee you, because we stay away from these lofty doctrinal terms theologically because they're hard to understand. Words like justification. I don't even know what that word means, let alone how am I going to teach it, but I'm going to attempt to teach it. And what's great is I'm an idiot. So if I'm an idiot, I'm going to put the fruit super low so you can reach it, right? Because you probably know more about justification than I do, but I'm going to tell you what justification is from God's standpoint. Justification is a legal term. It means not, not guilty. But you know what it meant? It meant Tennyson was guilty. But now Tennyson's not guilty anymore. Because, because he accepted Jesus, he welcomed Jesus' life, and God said, because you welcome Jesus, Tennyson, I can now claim you not guilty. Let's, let's, I, this is a hard word because it's like a big word. What does that mean, Matt? You know that justification means? Just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that simple? Justification, let's say it. Just as if I never sinned. You can't get that on your own. You're gonna have to come through Jesus. He's the door, he's the path, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. You can only get there through Jesus. It's a, here's what Jesus does. When you give your life over to Christ, he gives you a new label. Because there's two labels that God sees us with. One is sinner, one is saint. One is sinner, one is righteous. One is unholy, one is holy. And when you come to Jesus, you exchange your imperfection for Christ's perfection. There's a swap here. There's a, there's a change of identity. There's a change of your label. And Jesus says, I will give you my identity. That's why it's so important that when the Bible talks about dying to yourself and being raised in the newness of Christ, we're exchanging our identity. And guys, according to Romans 6, that happens in the place of baptism. I didn't come up with that. The Apostle Paul told us that from God speaking into his heart. So if you want a change of identity, you come to Christ and you be set free just as if you've never sinned. Now let me give you a handle on how this looks from a Jesus standpoint. Look at Luke chapter 7. Luke is a, a gospel writer. He, he had an eyewitness account of Jesus firsthand. So Jesus and Luke were probably at this gathering. It was a party. And the party that Jesus was at in Luke 7 was a big dinner party. And the man that was hosting the party was a prestigious religious leader named Simon. And at that party, he got all of his peers around him. 
And so all these ministers are in the room with Simon. And if you don't know anything about ministers, you know that maybe you know, maybe you don't yet, but many of them are arrogant, right? Yeah, we're arrogant. There's a, there's a, there's a piousness that exists within us because we're around this book all day long and we think we've got this thing figured out. I'm here to tell you, we, I don't have this thing figured out. And these guys absolutely in the text, Luke 7, they thought they had this thing figured out. Matter of fact, they thought they hit the bullseye. Boy, if that isn't really thinking high of yourself. They thought they hit the bullseye. No sin in me, Jesus. So Jesus is at this party, which I love that Jesus went to some parties. So Jesus is at a party and he's hanging out with all these people that think they're perfect. And here walks in this woman, unwelcomed, unannounced, and she stands behind Jesus. And just like an old West movie, I can imagine this, right? Just like as the good guy walks into the bar and the, the doors swing open and the piano's playing and all the bad guys are, you know, at the, at the bar and then everything stops when the good guy walks in, right? And they just stare at him. I'm sure it was for this woman. Everything just stopped. The spotlight went on her and the, the clinking of forks and knives and the, the, the glasses and the little noises of the party begin to settle down and all eyes were on this woman and she's standing behind Jesus and she's weeping. She's, she's bawling uncontrollably and her tears are running down her cheek and she's standing behind Jesus and her tears are falling off of her cheek onto the floor. She's so close to Jesus that Jesus is now in a puddle of tears and her tears have fallen to his, his dirty feet. And all the men in the room recognize her She's like a notorious bad girl. She, she has a reputation in town. Now Luke doesn't mention that she's a prostitute, but all, all of the direction points to that she is. She's weeping uncontrollably at Jesus' feet. He's standing in a puddle of her tears, and then she stoops down. His feet are soaked with her tears, and she takes her long hair. And as she stooped down, she begins to wipe his feet, clean his feet with her hair and her tears. Jesus just lets her to it. Like, why would he, why would he do that? Because she was saying, I respect you, and I am repenting of who I used to be right now. We find out in the text, she takes this bottle of perfume. She dumps it all over Jesus' feet. She pours it out. Friends, that was her way of saying, this life that I once lived as a prostitute, I dump it at the feet of Jesus now. I'm never going back to that again. Jesus looks around after this moment is over and he looks at Simon and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? That's verse 44. Do you see this woman? Simon and those men in that room didn't see a woman. You know what they saw? They saw sin. And Jesus didn't just see the sin. Jesus saw a woman whose soul was insecure, so he saved her that day. And he looks at her, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go and live at peace. Know that you've been saved, and your salvation is secure. That's justification. You were once known as a prostitute, but now God sees you. God sees you as perfection. You were once a sinner, but God sees you now as a saint. You're saying, well, I don't feel that way. God says, it doesn't matter what you feel like. 
I've changed the label. I write the script. You don't. Okay, so last week I read about this concept called reputational bankruptcy. It's when you have so much smut on the internet about yourself that you can't like get out from under it. So like maybe in your past you had like some crazy posts on Facebook, like you had some rants and you had some pictures from college and you don't want those on there anymore. Guess what? They're on there. The web is sticky. You'll never get away from it. As a matter of fact, you'll never be able to delete the information about yourself that is on the websites or on social media or that people have collected and data collected and mined after you. On the, it, it's there. And this has hurt people. Like there's some of you in this room, you're like, yeah, that's hurt me before. I tried to get a job and they looked back and they saw some things and I didn't get the job. Or you're saying that hurt me because I had some potential clients that I was going to get on board and then they looked back at me and they thought, boy, they're judging me by yesterday. What really, I'm not that way anymore. I'm today's man, but I can't get out from under this. So all these firms have come into existence now called reputational management firms. And so their goal is that they clean up your history the best they can. And so people will pay tens of thousands of dollars to clean up their reputation online so that they can actually move forward in life. But here's the thing. Those reputational management firms, they can't guarantee you that they're going to give you a spotless history. As a matter of fact, they say it's, it's, it just can't happen. They can just make it so that when you type in Matt Merrill in a Google search, the good things pop up first. If you get to page 10, you're going to still see the bad stuff. Now, what would it be worth to you like to get a new credit score? What would it be worth it to you? To like get all that stuff that you posted years ago offline? What would it be worth to you just to have a fresh start, a clean slate? What would, it, what would you do for that? Because there's a lot of people in this world just like, I want a new reputation. I need to start new. And you know what? You can't. Like, the, the, the world of the web says you can't start new. It's impossible. And just like it's virtually impossible to get a clean slate of your identity on the web... It is virtually impossible for you to do anything about your sins on your own. It's just not going to happen. And that's where Jesus comes in. He says, you know, you, you can exchange the label. You can, you can take on my holiness for your sin. That sounds like a pretty good deal. You can take on my reputation, Jesus says, for your reputation. Let's just switch reputations and God will see you as holy because I took on your sins, you've been covered by, here's how, here, here's, let's, just, let's just look at it like this. In the book of Romans, here's what it says. We were made right. Don't you love that? We were made right. I don't care how you feel about it. You were made right. You come to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You were made right by God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've done that, you've been made right. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are or who we are. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, which we need grace, Freely makes us right in his sight, continues on. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We are free from the penalty of our sins. That's being justified, just as if I didn't sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Living free. Living free starts with resting confidently in the salvation that when you came to Jesus, he now claims you holy and God sees you as holy. Even though you are imperfect or even though you've lived an imperfect life, God says, I am calling you holy. I'm calling you perfect. I'm calling you righteous. That's what I'm calling you today. When you come to Jesus, the pathway, the door 
and you find the man of salvation, and you welcome him into your life, you, what happens? You've got a new label. God sees you as righteous, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Here's the second thing God does. He gives us freedom from sin's power. This is a part of living free, freedom from sin's power. This means that I should progressively be getting more like Jesus and less like myself. Freedom from sin's power. We call this sanctification. So the Bible explains it like this in 2 Timothy. It says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God has called us to a holy life. Holy means perfect. Holy means the bullseye. Now look, we're, not, we're far from holy, right? I'm far from holy. But God has called us that I should be making this walk, this traverse to God to be more like Christ and less like Matt, less like myself and more like Jesus. The only way I can do this is with God's Holy Spirit in my life. I don't have the willpower to do it. You don't have the willpower, but God has the power of the Holy Spirit that can compel us to do that. That gives me, obviously God thinks we can live a holy life because he doesn't say strive. He says you're called. There's a difference there. Strive means I'll just, I, I hope I get there. No, God says you're called. You can do this. You've got it in you because you got God's spirit within you. You're called to a holy life. You know what holy means in that, that scripture? It means that you're called to be a saint. <laughs> you don't look like saints. I don't look like a saint. I don't feel like a saint. God says, you can do it, Matt. I've relabeled you. You can now start, head in my direction. You can go from A to B to B to C to C to D. You can start moving your way to be more Christ-like today, each and every day that can happen. You can go from bad to good, from good to great, from great to godly. Do you hear that? That's what God expects of you when he's rewritten the script for your life. He's saved us and he's called us to be holy. And it's a, it's a transformational progress over time. It just doesn't happen instantaneously. When I was baptized, I didn't immediately become a perfect man. God labeled me as perfect. Now he said, Matt, would you just start walking in perfection? And guys, that doesn't mean my life is sinless. It means I should be sinning less and less and less so. And that should be a daily thing. That should be a daily thing. That we should be walking towards God, going from good to bad, or from bad to good. You don't want to go good to bad. That's bad. You want to go from bad to good, good to great. Slow down a little bit, Matt. Great to godly. You know when spit starts flying out of my mouth, I'm going a little too fast. That's when I know I have to put the brakes on. That right there. See? <laughs> and there's got to be this movement in your life that says, I'm not, I'm not going to stay at A. I've got to at least move to B and to C. And it's not, friends, there's no way to get there. There's no way to get there but to just land in God's word. There's no way to get there but just to land in God's word. And I'm telling you what, if you're stuck in sin, a habit, a hang-up, or a hurt, if you're stuck in that, stuck in sadness, and yet you've been relabeled and you're just stuck there, you're not moving. I, I, would, I would contend it's not about your badness, it's about your awayness. It's not because you're too bad to move towards Christ. It's just because you're not willing to get close to Christ. You're away from Christ. Does that make sense? Because if the national statistics land right in this church, which I'm pretty sure they would, about 80% of us do not have a time where we spend daily in God's word. That means that you pray, which many of us pray, we usually pray, you know, we pray when we need something, typically, or when we're in trouble. And a relationship's not one-sided. You just don't do all the talking, but yet we think we can do all the talking to God. Yet when does God talk to you? And the only time we find God talking to us is in his word. And God has something to say. God has something to say to you. Even if it's just for five minutes a day, two minutes a day, one minute a day. God said, can I just get a word in edgewise here? You do all the talking. And I would contend, the reason why many of us just aren't moving forward in our faith and becoming more like Christ, we're not seeing the transformation, is be, not because of our badness. You're not too bad 
You have God's power. You have God's spirit in your life. It's because of your awayness, your unwillingness to move forward. I can describe it like this. You've got to stay in God's word daily to actually elevate your faith and to move towards Christ. I, I, I'm a guitar player. I was trained as a guitar player. That, that doesn't mean my training was good, okay? I'm trained as a guitar player. I have to play the guitar every single day of my life to stay in a place of maintenance of what I've been taught and to try to elevate and get over the curve. And there are many days where I don't feel like playing the guitar. But I'll walk in, I'll play for 15 or 20 minutes, I'll try to set some time aside. Because if I don't do that and I take about a week off, I really get about three weeks behind and I begin to digress in my training. Oh gosh, the same is true for you and some of your skills that you had to learn for work, the skills you had to learn. How many of you remember seventh grade math? Right? You haven't stayed with it. And you don't remember algebra anymore. You don't remember calculus anymore. Because you didn't stay with it. And the same is true, if we're not in the Word of God daily, if that becomes no longer a, a task of our day, a discipline of our day, we're going to lose sight of that. And it's not about a matter of badness. You're not progressing to become more like Christ just because, because of awayness. And you're not going to get there on your own. You're going to need places like this. You're going to need people that meet in places like this, small groups. You're going to need some people speaking to your life, someone like me or someone that can speak into your life because you're going to need God's Word in your life. David figured this out. David, who's an old king in the Old Testament portions of our scripture, a man that was full of sin, and he realized that his sin ruined some relationships with his family and himself and with God, and, and he cries out in pain of the pattern of his life that was bringing so much hurt to people, and he says, God, I got to return to you because anytime I'm not with you, my life's a mess. It was a matter of awayness, not badness, and here's what he finally says. I, I figured it out. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might sin against you. That's the promise. You hide God's word in your heart. And you're, becoming, you're not going to be sinless, but you're going to be sinning less and less and less. God's just going to chip at the things in your life that aren't Christ-like, and eventually you'll be like Christ. And I love how Paul says it. Paul says it like this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God's not going to give up on you. God's not going to give up on you. You may not feel like you're moving from A to B, from bad to good, from good to bad, from good. I can't get it right. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You may not feel like you're making any progress in the, in, in the faith and becoming more like Christ. And, God, and Jesus says, you just surrender. You just surrender. That's all I need from you. Give me your willingness, and I'll get you there. It's not dependent upon you. Salvation is not dependent upon you. Justification, just as if I never sinned, not dependent upon you. Sanctification, sinning less and less and less, not dependent upon you. Now look at this, look at this, look at this third point. Glorification, freedom from sin's presence. I'm free from the penalty I'm free from the power of sin. And one day, one, we're not there yet because it's not going to happen on this earth because this is a sinful place. Freedom from sin's presence. One day we'll be in a glorified state. That was the hope of Paul. That was the hope of Peter. That was the hope of John the Revelator. And that's the promise that God gives to us. Let me, let me just tell you how Paul puts it. So I'm willing to endure anything, Paul says, if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. I'm willing to, I'll endure anything, God, because I know one day glory awaits me. This is a trustworthy saying. That's the way Paul says, you might want to write this down. Uh, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. That's a, that's a statement of glory. Oh, here's the hard part. If we deny him, what will he do? He will deny us. 
And Paul says, I'm looking for the day. I'll, I'll put up with anything on this earth. I'm waiting for the day when I don't have to be in sin's presence anymore, a state of glorification. Paul says, that's not here. That's later. When will we free from sin's presence? Not here, but when we're absent from the body and present with the Lord in heaven. Okay, I don't know how to wrap this up. I don't know how to make this, I don't know how to really take these high concepts of justification, sanctification, glorification, except to like illustrate it in some way. So I'm gonna need some help. Uh, Casey Metters, Matt Hill, sweetheart, Kelly. No, the other sweetheart. No, come on, come on. <laughs> you guys come all the way up on stage if you would. Um, Kelly, since you're the closest thing to Jesus we have up here, would you stand over here? Did you hold this? You're not. You're not. You're not. Nah, I know you guys too well. Okay. I want you to hold these labels here. Okay. So let's just, we're, we're going to pretend. Everyone's going to play a part here today. Kelly is the part of Jesus, playing Jesus, Kelly Merrill. Casey Metters playing the part of Hitler. I can't think of anybody worse. I don't know. And then Matt Hill playing the part of Matt Hill. Let me explain, let me explain for a moment what salvation is. So God has this plan to get Matt Hill from here to here. That's the plan, the man, Jesus. Matt says, I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to come to Jesus. And when I come to Jesus, what happens? He flips the script. He changes the label, doesn't he? So Matt gives up and says, I no longer want to be the old Matt. I want to be a new Matt. Christ gives Matt the holiness, his name. Christ stays holy because he's covered by Christ's blood. Christ stays holy. There you go. <laughs> Wine. <laughs> we didn't act this out, believe me. But here's the thing. A lot of us think, well, now we're good. We're good. No, you're not good because we live in, in an evil place. We live in a sinful place. And so Matt is still in the camp of, of this sinful abyss here, but he's not better than Hitler. He's been shown grace because he has been given God's grace. One sin or a million sins, we need a Savior. The label for Matt has been changed. That's the difference. God sees Matt now as perfect. God sees Matt now as he's hit the bullseye. Now here's what Matt does. Matt says, God, I surrender to you. I've given my life over to you. I've died in that watery baptism. I've given my life to you. What does Matt do now? Well, hopefully Matt does not digress. Matt stays in the word of God and each and every day. Matt starts heading this way. Every day. Starts heading this way, more like Christ, more like Christ, less like Hitler, more like Christ. <laughs> Until the day where, where we are absent from the body and we are finally present with the Lord. And sin is not a problem. Sin does not exist. It is not in the presence. And we just have a party with God in heaven forever. That's what it means to live free. And you can't get there until you walk the path of Christ, come through the way of Christ, through the door of Christ, who justifies us just as if I've never sinned, sanctifies us, brings us more to be like Christ, and glorifies us to be at home with God forever. I want that for you. If you haven't found freedom like that, then you need to come to Christ Jesus in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you to come and meet with someone like me or me right here by this baptistry. But let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word to our lives. And as we speak truth here today, may it settle deep within us. And may we long to be more like Jesus. May we come to you for salvation through Jesus. Father, may we recognize that when we're in Jesus, we're right. Even though we may not feel it, we're right. And may we now walk with Jesus to be more like him. And we look forward to the day where we'll be with him without the hindrance of sin. And I pray that those in this room that haven't found that freedom will today. And we pray in Jesus' name and everyone says, amen. Thank you guys very much.